Let's bow and pray as we come to hear God's word. Father in heaven, we are in need of your word. We are in need of wisdom that comes from you and your throne. And so we thank you for preserving your word for us to sit and to listen to and to look at and to read this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would use the preaching of your word uh, to supply us what's lacking in our faith. Lord, for those who are here this morning who don't know you, we pray that you would open their eyes to see the glory of your son Jesus and the need of forgiveness of sins found only in him. Lord, we pray for our church that you would comfort us in our faith and we pray you'd give us a growing hunger for you and for your word. Well, I pray you would ask me, I ask you, Lord, that you would help me to preach faithfully, to preach clearly. Pray that Christ would be exalted in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what does it mean to be a growing church? Does that mean that it's harder to find a seat on Sunday mornings or a parking spot when you come in? A growing church, does that mean what a lot of church growth books suggest, that if you're growing at 10 to 15 percent a year, well, then you have a growing church. Well, there's a lot of organizations that are growing in town. This is a growing city. This grow- city is rapidly multiplying in population. So how do we think about what growth looks like as a church? Certainly numbers aren't unimportant. We see in Acts chapter 2 recorded those daily being saved, a large response to the gospel. So they're not unimportant. We certainly pray for more people to come to know Jesus, more disciples to be made, uh, more people to be impacted by the truth of God's word, more to be baptized and converted. Pray that all the time. But is that the ultimate indicator of what growth in a church looks like? Well, one way for us to know what a growing church looks like is to ask the question, what is God looking for in his people? He's the ultimate judge, the ultimate evaluator. And certainly he is growing and forming a people for himself. But what is he looking for in his church? One way we can know what God is looking for is to look at what we see in Scripture, particularly in the prayers of the Apostle Paul. We're in a New Testament letter right now in 1 Thessalonians. As we look at Paul's prayers for this young church, It helps us know that his labor and his prayers were aimed at what God delights in, at what he wants in the lives of his people. What we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is that God's people must grow in faith and in love. So what it means to be a growing church is that we're growing in our faith in Jesus, that we're growing in love for God, for one another, for everyone, and and so proving to be disciples of Jesus. You see, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, his labor is aimed at this young church continuing to grow in faith. They already had faith, but continuing to deepen and grow in that faith and to continue to grow in love. And that is God's will for this local church. Anytime you hear a pastor say, I know God's will for this church, you should perk up. What's he going to say? When he's to line up with God's word, I can tell you with certainty this morning, God's will for your life, for our corporate life together today, God's will for our life this year is that we would grow in faith and that we would grow in love. And what God's will is, he always provides for so we can find comfort in him this morning, Oakhurst Baptist Church. As we listen to this sermon, may the Lord use this this year to grow us in faith and to grow us as a more loving 
people. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're in our, our fifth of, of ten sermons in our sermon series in 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning. And if you're new this morning, it's easy for you to jump in. We're just going through this book of the Bible. That's most of what we do here at this church. We want it to be that when you come to church, you learn more about the Bible. What does God's Word have to say? What has He done in Christ to provide for us to live according to the way that He desires? How can we grow in our faith by what we see in God's Word? So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. If you want to take that pew Bible right in front of you and track along, you can open that up to page 987. 987, 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. And if you don't own a Bible, then use that Bible this morning and take it home with you. That's our gift to you. Let me read through all of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 as we begin our time together. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. We see here a picture of a growing church, a church that's growing in faith and love and therefore being shaped in holiness. And that's God's will for us as His people, that we'd grow in faith and love and as His holy people this morning. Well, the main idea that I want you to see in this passage, if you're taking notes, you can write this main idea down. Jesus grows His people in faith and love to prepare us for His return. Jesus grows His people in faith and love to prepare us for his return. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with the return of the Lord. And we should look forward at that day that's surely to come when Jesus returns and then start backwards from there today. How can we live today in light of that day when Jesus returns? That's what it means to walk in wisdom if we truly know God. I want to divide this passage up into two parts. Two areas of preparation. In the first part, verse 6 through 10, the first area of preparation, what, what Jesus is preparing his people, steadfast faith. That's what we see in verses 6 through 10. Steadfast faith. Now, we thought last week that while Paul was hindered to return to the Thessalonians, he sent his co worker in the gospel, Timothy. Timothy was able to return to encourage that church and to see how it is they were doing. And Timothy, he returned to Paul with a report. It was a good report on their spiritual progress, their condition, and how they were doing. Now, Paul had feared that, that Satan, the tempter, may have thrown the Thessalonians off track. 
off track in their, their spiritual growth. But Timothy, he brought back good news. That's what we see in verse 6. He brought back the good news of your faith and love. So it's a report card. They're doing well in faith and love. And the Apostle Paul, he's encouraged by this report. In other words, this young church was a thriving body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were growing in faith and in love. Now, faith, that's synonymous with trusting, relying on, depending on. What it means to trust in in God is to rely on what He's done in Jesus and sending Jesus to die and to pay for sin, to rely on this new life that Jesus rose on the third day and He gives new life to all of those who put their faith in Him for forgiveness of sins. These Christians, they were also growing in love. And that word love, it doesn't refer primarily to a fuzzy, warm feeling. It refers to an active love, a love that was visible, a love for God in their lives where there was visible fruit and love for, their, for others that was clearly seen. The, the same love that God has for His Son Jesus, that love is seen in the lives of His people. It's manifested in how they love. And so the Apostle Paul was encouraged. And notice that it wasn't difficult for Timothy to assess this. There were practical ways that he saw they were growing in their faith and they were growing in love. And there are practical ways as we get into the sermon for you to assess this in your own life. Are you growing in faith? Are you growing in love? Now we see, and it's really important for us here throughout this passage, we see Paul, he keeps mentioning faith and love. But it's important for us to recognize that one produces the other. We can see down in verse 7, that Paul was comforted by their faith. So he was comforted that they had faith. And since they had faith, he then goes on to pray later in this chapter that they would increase and abound in love. Faith in Jesus produces love. Love is downstream from faith. So don't think of them as, as, as equals. One produces the other. So, so I've heard it put like this. Faith is the parent. And love is kind of like the child, what's produced by faith. We, we read about this in other places, like in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes there, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul speaks there of faith working through love. Christians are, we're called believers, Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you become a Christian. You repent of your sin and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment of conversion, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God that causes you to love Him and to love others. We're believers first, then we become lovers. And so that's kind of how we see faith showing itself through actions of love. If you have a true faith in God, that's going to be seen in loving Jesus by obeying His commands. I don't know what you mean if you say you're a Christian and you don't obey Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up. You see, obedience to Jesus follows from a sincere and true faith in God. Well, how can you grow in love? So love's really important. That's what we see Paul asking for this young church here in this passage. Well, at the end of verse 6, we see the evidence of them growing in love. So Timothy assessed here, first, you always remember us kindly. We just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, our congregational reading, love is patient, love is what? Kind. And kindness begins in the heart. 
God cares about our actions, but God cares about our thoughts. He cares about our attitude, the intention of our hearts. And here he's saying, you remember us kindly. Thessalonians, you remember Paul and his co-workers who've been separated from them. You have kind thoughts about Paul and his co-workers. Then second, you long to see us. You have this longing desire to be face-to-face with us. Both of those are our actions of love, and we can consider these practically as a church. So first, you should have kind thoughts about others. If you're loving others, you should have kind thoughts about them, and you should long to be with other Christians. There's two ways you can practically assess if you're growing in love. You should have kind thoughts. You should long to be with other Christians. Well, do you have kind thoughts about fellow Christians, about other members of this church, towards the elders of this church? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? Or do you not like it when you see that another member of this church got something you wanted? Maybe you struggle with envy. They got a job promotion, and you really wanted a job promotion. They just went under contract in a new house, and you're still renting. You're not having kind thoughts towards them. Well, kind thoughts are important. Love starts in the heart, and it overflows through actions. You know, comparison and envy, not only are they thieves of joy, but they're thieves of loving relationships with others. We can't love others if we envy them. We can't love others if we covet what God has given to them. That's why we commit in our church covenant in keeping with Scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. If you rejoice, you're not alone. In this church, we should be rejoicing with you. And if you weep, you should know you're not alone. There is love and compassion and care, and we weep and mourn with you. That all assumes that we're living in close proximity and close relationships, which is exactly what local church membership is about. Committed relationships, knowing and being known, loving and being loved, caring and receiving that care. Well, brothers and sisters, ask for the Lord's help to think kindly towards others, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What about longing to be with other Christians? So Paul, he longed to be with the Thessalonians. He said earlier in the letter, Satan had hindered him, kept him returning because of persecution and threats there for those who opposed the gospel. But then he learned, hey, they also long to be with me. There's this mutual affection. And again, that shapes our life as a local church. Do you long to be with other Christians in this church? If you're sick and you miss a week or if you're out of town, do you miss being with other Christians here at church? Do you have that longing to be with others? I know some that were hindered from coming. I'm so thankful, I've mentioned this before, to see the Purvises back in church. We came to visit you, and it was your longing to be here. You longed to be here at church, and God has provided through physical trials for you all once again to be here. And we're so glad you're here. We love you all and are thankful for you. Longing to be with other Christians, I don't mean merely to be present with other Christians but to share true fellowship, to build one another up. That's what we do here as we gather corporately on Sunday. That's what we do throughout the week as we scatter. So it's not just like, hey, we go to Top Golf together and hang out, or now I've got like a new group of friends to go down to the rail trail in South End, and like, this is like my, my, my people. Well, those are fun things to do, 
But our time together is primarily aimed at Christian fellowship, building one another up, so that if we go out and do recreation or hike or whatever, there's ways we can have encouraging conversations. Just ask simple questions to one another, like, hey, how are you really doing? What's God teaching you in the Bible? What's been hard in your life recently? How do you see the Lord ministering to you now? What's been sweet? What are you thankful for? All just simple, practical ways to fellowship with one, to build one another up in Christ. You see, Paul wanted to be with them, and they longed to be with Paul to share in fellowship. Well, Oakhurst Baptist Church member, do you long to be with other Christians to build them up in Jesus? You won't grow unless you're meaningfully connected to other Christians, and you won't be a part of helping others grow if you're not meaningfully connected to other members of this church. Let's pray for a greater love for our church family that would show itself in longing to be with one another. Well, Paul was encouraged by their love, and therefore he wanted to help this young church keep growing in their faith. I talked to Joe Mazzella this morning, and Joe's in his 80s, and Joe said, I learned so much from equipping hour this morning, systematic theology. I love hearing that. I love hearing someone in their 80s is not a know-it-all, but a learn-it-all. And that's what we need to be, right? That we need to learn, like keep learning, keep on. You've never arrived. If you're still present here, if you've not gone to be with the Lord and He's not come back, we've not arrived. Let's keep growing. Let's keep learning. That's the Apostle Paul's encouragement to the church there, the Thessalonians. He was encouraged by their love and faith, and now he says, keep going. And in verse 8, He puts his passion forward. He says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He's saying we live. We find our life, our joy, tremendous joy in your steadfast faith. Steadfast meaning firm, immovable, trusting, resting. Here comes trials. Here comes trouble. Here comes temptation. And were it not for the grace of God, I would get blown over. But by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, producing faith, I stand firm. I keep trusting. I keep believing. I keep resting in Jesus. That's what steadfast faith is. It's clinging to Christ. It's not your own personal strength and resolve, but rather holding fast to Jesus where we find rest. We see in verse 9, Paul had such joy, and they're standing fast in the Lord. He's thanking God for them. Again, he doesn't thank them for their steadfast faith. He doesn't say, Thessalonians, thank you so much. Like, you are such faithful Christians. He says, I thank God for the evidence of His grace I see in your life. So, therefore, it's, it's helpful for us to know whatever faith we have, it is entirely due to the Lord's work in our life. Well, how does that help you for tomorrow? Well, God's given me this faith. He worked in my life, saving me. He redeemed me, and therefore, He's going to supply the faith I need today and tomorrow to keep on going. There's a lot of comfort there found in this faith that comes from the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul says something there like, Lord, how can we thank you enough? We can just keep on thanking you for what you've done in our lives, which again is a wonderful thing to do. Start your day off by thanking God for your salvation, for your faith in Jesus Christ. See how that changes your outlook on the day. Whatever trial or test or trouble you're facing, 
Now, those are real and difficult, and they're hard. And our minds sometimes can get caught up in fear and anxiety and imagining a future where God doesn't provide for us, which isn't true. We can look back and see how God's already provided for us. He provided what we truly need and needed most if we put our faith in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God. God, thank you. I can't thank you enough for how you saved me. Certainly, you're going to provide what I need today. Well, Paul and his co-workers find their life and joy and the spiritual well-being of the Thessalonians. In that same way, you should want spiritual good for your fellow Christians. How concerned are you with other members of this church growing in their faith? Is that a concern you take to God in prayer? It's a good thing to pull out the prayer app and just pray through people's names and pray that God would grow the members of our church in faith. Discipling relationships means taking time out of your schedule to try to encourage someone else in their faith or to position yourself to be encouraged in your faith by another believer. How often do you think, not just about your own growth in 2023, but the growth of other Christians this year? This isn't something we want only our elders to be concerned about. We've committed as a whole church to building up a faithful evangelical ministry in this church, that we would do well to pray and to give ourselves to do spiritual good to others. Well, the way you fight against being a church of consumers is to be a church that provides for others. We don't want to be consumers. We want to be providers, and providers supply what is needed. In verse 10, Paul's constant prayer day and night was to be face-to-face with them again. Well, why? To supply what is lacking in your faith. And by using that word lacking, Paul's not criticizing them and saying something negative about them. Rather, he's just giving a true evaluation that's true of you and me here this morning if you're in Christ. It means our faith is not yet complete. We have faith and nothing can change that, but there's a need to grow in that faith, for that faith to be deepened. They needed to keep having their faith deepened. And Paul wanted to come alongside them and supply what was lacking in their faith faith. So think about supply like a supplement. If all you do is take vitamin supplements and you don't eat healthy meals, that's not going to help you that much. You got to think about eating healthy meals, keeping it lean and green, whatever you want to call that, Whole30 or keto, whatever the coolest name is. It's about keeping it lean and green. And then you can supplement that with other vitamins, right? We know that when it's overcast and it's kind of dark in the summers, you may not have as much vitamin D from sunlight, not being out. And vitamin D is needed to fight off cold and flu and all sorts of other things. So you supplement that. But if all you took were vitamins and skipped over the meals, what good would that be to you? Apostle Paul says you've you've got faith in Jesus, right? So you've already got the meal, so to speak. He's coming to supply them, to supplement them, to help them keep growing in their faith. And Oakhurst Baptist Church as a Christian, that's a concern you should have for yourself. And for others, how do we keep growing in our faith in Jesus? The design of the New Testament church is that we would come alongside one another and supply what is lacking in our faith. You know, if you, if you know someone in this church that's struggling in the Lord, try to minister to them. Again, don't just wait for the elders to kind of find out and come alongside. You can move alongside. You certainly can involve an elder to help. We'd be happy to help in that. But how can you pray with someone who's doubting? How can you do spiritual good just by having an open life and an open Bible when you meet with other 
Christians in this church. One of your most important jobs as a church member, this is how we want to think about it, that joining a church is not like joining a club and gaining a bunch of amenities. That's a consumer culture. Joining a church is like joining a family and then taking on responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities we have for the church family is to come alongside one another and encourage each other in our faith. And it's your job to position yourself to be encouraged and to seek out who it is that you can encourage. The Apostle Paul was setting a pattern. He goes on and on in this letter about imitating them. A pattern to be imitated. Give yourself to growing in your faith and helping others grow. Simply stated, a healthy church is one that has evident faith and love. What every growing church should be known for is faith and love. Well, a second area of preparation we find in verses 11 through 13. So the first was a steadfast faith. The second area of preparation in verses 11 through 13, holiness shaped by love. Holiness shaped by love. Again, Paul was hindered from returning to the Thessalonians, but he wasn't hindered from praying for them. Prayer is a powerful ministry. In these last three verses of chapter 3, we see a prayer of blessing. It's almost like a pastoral prayer. There from the Apostle Paul to this Thessalonian church. And notice who the prayer is addressed to there in verse 11. Our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus. He prays to God the Father and to God the Son, the Lord Jesus. And that, that title, Lord, the common Old Testament title for God, he applies to Jesus. And by praying to both of them, that indicates that they share in this status of both being God. God the Father, God the Son. Paul's prayer directed towards Father and Son shows the unity there of God the Father and God the Son. And Paul prayed this way because Jesus is God. Paul prayed this way because Jesus is truly God and truly man. We see that in Paul's prayers, and we see it throughout the pages of the New Testament. So why am I a Christian? I got to share that with a couple of guys at our dinner table that, uh, that we had, that that's my question dinner last Sunday night. A member of the church invited me to sit at their table, and the, the guys there were from another country, and they said, well, you're a Christian because you grew up in America. I said, well, you know, I think it's certainly true. I heard about Jesus, you know, in America. You probably have more opportunities to hear about Jesus than where they were from in the Middle East. I said, but a lot of America, really, what they think it means to be a Christian is that they celebrate Christmas and not Hanukkah. They celebrate Easter, and they're not an atheist. But what it means to be a Christian is to put your faith in Jesus, and faith is based on fact. Jesus died on the cross, fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Fact. Jesus is the only way to God to have your sins forgiven. The only way to be made right with God is in Jesus. And Christians are those who put their faith in Jesus. In these facts, faith doesn't mean we close our eyes and just hope what we believe happens to be true when we die. We've come to be convinced that Jesus is the only way to God. And we've repented of our sin and have put our faith in in him alone. I, I told them I'm a Christian because Jesus rose from the dead. Certainly my mom and dad 
taught me about Jesus. I am so thankful for them and for others and for how God used them in my life. But I stand here today as a 44-year-old man trusting in Jesus because I believe he got up from the dead. I'm with him. My life is fully in him. No one else got up from the dead. Jesus did. And therefore, he defeated sin and Satan. I believe everything that he said in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he's saying here, Jesus is truly God. There's no one like him. And if you put your faith in Jesus, there's this ongoing relationship with him. He's risen and he's reigning right now as God the Son. And therefore, we pray to God the Father and the Son, Lord Jesus, in his name. Now, he has two requests he's asking here. The first is in verse 11. It's very practical, which helps us know it's good to to ask for practical things. Practically, Paul wants to know, uh, he's asking God for a way to return. Here's just a practical thing that I desire in life. I'm going to lift that up to you, Lord. He wants a way to return to the Thessalonians. The second request, which is longer, in verses 12 and 13, is that they would grow in love. Let's look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So he's asking the Lord, again, that refers to Jesus, to make them increase and abound in love. So keep growing in faith, keep growing in love. Christian, whatever love you have present in your life, it has all come from Jesus. All love in our lives come from Jesus, and therefore, that's why Paul is asking Jesus to increase their love. And you and I are invited to ask the Lord to do the same. It's a good prayer request for you this week. Lord, make me increase and abound in love. In fact, I started us off this morning. That was in the pastoral prayer, if you caught it, right out of the text. Just, Lord, help us all increase and abound in love. A good prayer request to pray for your own soul and for others Pray exactly what you see right here in Scripture. That's an inspired prayer request, a good way for you to pray. Now notice, this request for increasing and abounding in love, it's aimed in a particular direction. May you increase in love for one another, meaning other Christians, and for all, meaning love everyone. So who's my neighbor? Well, everyone. But then also there's a priority given here, and the order is important. Paul follows his order in other places. Love one another first. Don't stop there. Keep going out from here and loving one another as members of a church, as fellow believers, and then love everyone in the world around you, those who are outside of the church who do not have their faith in Jesus. They are not our enemies in the sense of we don't battle against flesh and blood. We want to share the love of Jesus with everyone around us. Now, Paul says something similar in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. There he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. Talking about other Christians, there's a priority given to Christians to especially love one another. Why this order? I mean, certainly it implies that more time and more energy is going to be spent with Christians loving one another as fellow believers. But why? Well, because our love for one another is a central part of our witness to a watching world of who Jesus is. That time and energy that we spend loving one another, building one another up, 
strengthens our witness for others to watch and say, well, why do they love each other so much? Why are they forgiving one another? Why are they providing for one another in a way that doesn't make sense? Which, by the way, implies that our love should be distinct from what the world calls love around us. Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. It's part of our our witness, the household of faith, the local church, is where we learn to love And it's where we grow in love. Think about what love looks like in a local church. We already mentioned having kind thoughts. It starts with just having kind thoughts, brotherly, sisterly affection, really caring for others and seeking to care. Love looks like practicing forbearance. You know, you start living life in a relationship, like in any biological family, You can have a family member that that rubs you the wrong way or offends you or sometimes you feel overlooked by. That certainly happens in church family. But we practice forbearance uh, for those who get on our nerves or sometimes personalities clash. And that's not necessarily sinful, just personalities clash. Well, we practice forbearance. We, We show love. We're patient with one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. We try not, as our church covenant says, we try not to be easily offended. We're not just going to be like the person on Twitter who gets offended by a 40-character tweet someone puts out and acts like it's the end of the world. We're not going to relate to one another like that in the local church. We're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're going to believe the best, which is part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not insist on its own way. Again, something we learned this morning. That doesn't work in marriage, insisting on your own way. It doesn't work in the life of the local church. We're going to forgive others as we've been forgiven by Jesus and not hold grudges. We're not going to say rude things to someone or about someone. And when we see ourselves fail, because we will, we will seek to humbly repent and ask for forgiveness and offer that forgiveness to others. We're called to love each other first, but that love overflows from this place to loving the world around us. That means for members of this church, do your coworkers know you're a Christian? Have you told them that? It's a good thing to tell them. Certainly you want your life to commend the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's no way for you to love the world around you if you're not speaking to them about Jesus. And so the water cooler talk on Monday morning can simply start, what did you do with your weekend? Well, I tried this new restaurant that opened up down in Plaza Mid, but it was really good. Yeah, well, I went to church on Sunday. You know, I go to church on Sunday morning. I'm a Christian, and, you know, I, I just enjoy the opportunity to, to start the week off by praising God and hearing His Word. You know, we're going through a book in the Bible right now, and I'm learning a lot. It can be something that simple that you start talking to others about your faith in Jesus that could lead to more conversations where you could share the truth of the gospel, but you can't love people around you if you aren't willing to talk to them about Jesus. You see, Jesus assumes that our our love and our good works go together. The other people will see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. So the goal is not just to be patted on the back saying, yeah, Steve's a really nice guy at work. What a guy he is. No, like, hey, he's a Christian. He's told me about it, and I see something about the way he, he works and the way he relates to the boss and the way that he doesn't join in on the, 
break room gossip and condemning the boss and the way that he gives himself to loving others, something different about Steve. Love should overflow from this place to loving the world around us. Simply put, a growing church is one where people are growing in their love for God, for one another, and for everyone. Why is Paul's prayer focusing on them growing in love? The answer is in verse 13. We see the words there, so that, which highlights this is a purpose clause. The reason Paul is praying for them to grow in love, there in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. We've thought so much about faith and love. You may have wondered, where's hope? Because we've thought about this in the beginning of Thessalonians, that, that common triad with Paul, faith, hope, and love. Well, here you have it. Right here at the end of the chapter, the way it is at the end of every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, the hope in the return of Jesus. We see hope referenced in verse 13 as Paul looks forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ when he returns to earth. And here, this return of Jesus is in light of coming judgment. That's why he says, when they will appear in the presence of God the Father, when Jesus comes again. Jesus came the first time to die, to save, to rise again from the dead, to redeem anyone who would repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. And if you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's something you can do today. If you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, it means you, you missed the point of His first coming. His first coming is that you need to be forgiven because of your sin against God. God, indeed, is going to judge you on the last day. I know that may, may not be a popular topic to talk about, but as a pastor of this church, I want you to be clear about that. You don't need to face your upcoming death, whenever that may be, and be surprised that God is going to judge you one day. The only way you can pass that judgment, the only way you can be passed over and not have the wrath of God condemning you to an eternity in hell is to turn and place your faith in Jesus. That His blood shed on the cross was a payment for sin. He came as a substitute to stand in your place and take the punishment that you deserve. And that's not going to get applied to your life automatically just by trying to be a good person. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. It's the first words in the gospel of Mark. Repent, meaning turn away from your sin. Turn away from yourself. Believe in Jesus, meaning trust in Him. Rely on what He's done. It's not true that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. It's true that forgiven people go to heaven. And the only way to be forgiven is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the return of the Lord Jesus, He's coming a second time. That's what Paul's referencing here. He already took care of paying for sin the first time. He came as a lamb to lay his life down, but he's coming the second time, and the Bible pictures this as coming as a lion to judge. And if you are still in your sins on that day, that will be a terrible day of God's wrath and judgment. It's one that you don't have to endure if you put your faith in Jesus. Please talk to someone who brought you today. Talk to me or any of the pastors. I'll be at this door other pastors at the other doors, we'd love to talk to you today about what it would look like to put your faith in Jesus and become a Christian today. For those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1 tells us the beautiful truth. There is therefore now no condemnation, I mean no judgment, 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we look forward to the return of Christ as that day which we long for, which we hope for, which we are getting ready for, which we are waiting for. Here in verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he speaks of the work that Christ does in his people to prepare them for that day that he returns. He says here that Jesus establishes your hearts. To establish, it means to strengthen. Christ is strengthening the heart of his people so that we will be blameless when he returns. Now, blameless doesn't mean perfect. It means holiness. It refers to holy living. So, a a pure heart, blameless. The only blameless one's Jesus. He's perfect. But what it means to have blameless living is that we have a pattern of conduct. It's what we read about in 1 John this morning, a pattern of conduct that points to God's holiness, obedience to His Word. Blameless refers to a pure heart, holy living, not completely perfect in holiness until we go to be with Christ, but rather the pattern of your conduct is found in obedience to God's Word and being conformed to God's image. Well, consider how Paul speaks about holiness in these verses. To grow in holiness is to grow in love. That's what he says. To grow in holiness is to grow in in love. And isn't that the way that Jesus summed up all of God's commands? To love God, to love neighbor, sums up all of his commands. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, the whole law fulfilled in one word and love, that as they grow in love for one another and for all people, they will be strengthened to grow in holiness. That's the type of holiness that God is looking for when Jesus returns, that he will be judging. There's comfort here that Christ is growing us in love in order to prepare us to go be with the Lord or for when he returns to be with us. Growing in love is such an important and central area that Jesus is working in his people to establish our hearts to increase and abound in love. Now, to be sure, Christian growth, it requires our obedience. So this is talking about sanctification, growing in holiness, and it is 100% a work of the Spirit of Christ in us. But there's a lot of therefores in Scripture. So it's like, because Christ is working in us, therefore. And really, that's how a lot of Paul's letters come down. He, he, he indicates what God's already done in Jesus Christ. That if you've been converted, nothing will change that. You will persevere until the end. The therefores are all those commands that God gives us. He empowers us by His Spirit. We once were dead in our sins, but we've made alive together with Christ, which means we've been given a spirit that obeys God and His commands. And so don't think of Christian growth or sanctification as this passive experience where you're just kind of sitting back and you're not doing anything. Obviously, you came to church this morning. You had to set an alarm. You had to get up. You had to make plans to be here. You had to follow through on those plans. That was part of your obedience. Why did you want to be here? Well, the Spirit of God gave you the desire to want to be with His people. If God's Spirit's in you, you'd be longing to be with them more and more. Sanctification, 100% a work of God. But don't think of yourself as being uninvolved in this. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul is praying, for them to grow in love, keep obeying God's commands, keep serving one another, keep giving to one another. Brother and sister, the, the Spirit of God works in us to grow us, and so one thing we can do is pray and ask. We can pray and ask God 
Make me increase and abound in love. Well, evaluate your life, Christian. If it's so important to increase and abound in love, ask yourself, are you growing in love? Better yet, ask another member of this church. Ask your spouse. Don't be defensive if you get an answer that's candid. Ask your roommates. Ask your kids. Ask mom and dad. Are you growing in love? Or are you growing in love toward your spouse? Do you have kind thoughts about them? Desiring their good. Kind words toward them. What about in the home? Children and teenagers. Are you growing in love towards your siblings? Sharing, being kind in your actions, your words. This local church, what would it look like for you to grow in love toward your fellow church members, how you speak to them, how you speak about them, how you're putting their interests and needs ahead of yourself, how you serve and give in this local Church, are you growing in that love? You see, God wants us to grow now. And in fact, Jesus is working in us, growing us in love now so that we will be blameless in holiness on that last day when Jesus returns to earth. If you want to be ready for that day when Jesus surely will return, surely as he came the first time, he's coming a second time, start there, rewind back today. What does God want from me? In this passage, he wants to make us increasing and abounding in love. As surely as he came the first time, he's coming a second time. Verse 13 tells us, with all his saints, which probably refers to those Christians who've already died and gone to be with the Lord, Jesus will return. He will find his holy people here on earth. He will return to a people that he himself has grown in love and faith. And because of that reality, let's give ourselves today in growing in love and faith. We are still early on in 2023. New Year's resolutions, often they get made on January 1st, can be forgotten by March 1st. Just look at the decreasing attendance in gyms and sometimes churches by March. When we think about this, we're still early on. It's not too late. What would it look like for you to be more loving this year? To grow in love for other Christians. To grow in love at home. To grow in loving your neighbor and showing love to all of those around you. If we're going to grow in love, we need to know God's love for us in Jesus. Be reminded of how patient he's been with us. And if you're meditating on God's patience and kindness to you in Christ, Christian, how can you go and be impatient and unkind to those around you? Let's meditate and know the love of God in Christ and ask him to show that through us. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians is a great prayer for your own soul, for your family, for your church family. May we ask the Lord to increase, to make us increasingly and aboundingly loving that we would honor God and be ready for that last day. Let's bow and pray. In fact, before I pray, let's just pray silently. That's a good request for you to pray silently, to ask the Lord to grow you in love, and then I'll close us out in prayer.
Father in heaven, in your word, we read by this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Lord, we pray you would turn the meditation of our hearts and minds to your love for us in Christ, and we ask, Lord, that you would make us increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Lord, we pray for any here today who do not know the love of Jesus through repenting and believing in him, that you would draw them to that love. And we pray for those of us, Lord, who by your grace have repented and believed. How can we thank you enough, Lord? And Lord, we ask for more. We ask you to grow us as your people in faith and in love and prepare us for the return of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.